0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now.
1: Church, I'd like to start our Bible study off tonight with a did you know? Because I didn't know, so I thought, did you know? And you go, what do you mean? Did you know Jesse James, right? The famous outlaw Jesse James, the notorious train robber the murderer who killed 16 people himself and was involved in over 180 other murders, that blew me away, did you know that his father was actually a Baptist minister? And did you know that Jesse was actually a baptized member of the Kearney County Baptist Church in Kearney, Missouri? That blew my mind. Jesse James, right? Right? I also learned that Jesse James, he loved to sing in the choir. You're like, no, I don't remember that. He loved to sing old hymns. He actually would actually teach the hymns to the younger members of the choir. And Jesse James, if you cornered him and he didn't kill you, he would tell you how he would love and love and love Sunday morning service. Did you know that? You're like, I didn't know that. Jesse James? Yet the only problem, was he said, was was basically... He wasn't in church because there was a conflict because he was often out either robbing or killing somebody. So he didn't go to church because he had that job. And you go, Ben, what's the point? Why would you bring this up? Well, guys, on the religious road to ruin, we discover that Cain committed murder right after a worship service. Or he went to church, and the next thing you know, he's going to kill his brother. Now, unfortunately, we won't get to that this tonight. We'll talk about it next week. But I thought that was interesting. You see, both Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices to the Lord in worship. And we see right after verse 8, Cain rose up and he murdered his brother. And of course, when I was reading the text, I don't know if you remember this, it reminded me of a Local musician here in Lubbock, Texas, who actually got killed after going to a Saturday evening mass, and um, it was it was a friend, sort of a friend that we knew, and and we saw that this domestic violence turned turned deadly right after church, and it was all all so very sad here in Lubbock, Texas. So I thought, how does one How does one find themselves on this road? You go, what road? Well, if you're taking note, you can see the road of kind of religious ruin. That's what it is. It's the road of religious ruin. You see, tonight we're going to get a glimpse of a man who gave God his very best, and another man who was simply indifferent to the things of God. Two different men. See, one came by faith, and he offered up worship to the Lord, and the other one whose heart was wicked... Well, he offered up emptiness by his works. And if you're taking note, I want you to jot this down. God does not see our worship apart from our very own heart. Okay? Very important. Okay? Now, let me back up because you need to grasp this. You need to understand. Okay? We have two men, one coming by faith, offering up his very best, Uh, offering worship, the other, not so much, indifferent, just coming in, kind of going through the motions, and God does not just go, okay, well, you worship, that's fine. He does not see the worshiper apart, guys, from our heart. Would you agree with that? You go, what do you mean by that? Well, we cannot worship God without having a true heart of worship, a true heart of worship. Now, let me quickly remind you, okay, we're going to go back to this. Let me quickly remind you what we talked about in Genesis chapter 1. You guys know that we've had that wide angle view, right? Elohim, right? God, three in one, created the world in six days, and on the seventh, he rested. And of course, we know what happened on the seventh day. He blessed it and he sanctified it. Chapter 2, he says, let's go a little bit closer. Let's kind of zoom in just a little bit on creation, and of course, we know what happened there. He He created man, we know him as Adam, out of the dust of the ground. He breathed life into him. Man became a living being. So now you have man, but he also created a garden. It's known as the Garden of Eden, which means delight. Okay, So God created this amazing, wonderful paradise that I think would be just just amazing to just sit in and be part of. I mean, you're talking about the fruit, whatever that was, was just probably... It tastes so good, and I mean, the, there was it wasn't. I was talking to Beverly earlier, and, and Beverly's cold, and she likes it hot, and some people like it cold versus hot. And I think in the garden, I think in the garden, it was just perfect weather. You didn't need a jacket, but you didn't get too hot. It was just perfect. I told Beverly earlier. I said, "There's no, there's no perfect place on earth," and she agreed with me. Right? Can't go to Florida, whatever it might be. But I think the garden. I think that was. I think that was it. I think that was it. And what does God do? He has one command towards them, right? He says, hey, guys, listen. Here's what you do. Out of all the trees, men freely eat, except don't eat of what? The tree of of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree. He says, because when you eat it, you guys are going to die. That's pretty hard, command. You're gonna die. Well, in chapter three, we saw the fall of man, and we learned all about sin. Right? We learned that sin. Now we got to grasp this, okay? Because because until sin be bit, bitter, Christ will not be sweet. So we understand that sin fractured everything. He fractured everything, and it fractured us. It fractured relationships. It fractured everything, including creation. Including creation. We cannot keep sin at, we cannot, we cannot have sin like pets. And I'm going to bring it up, my little pet sin, because until, until sin be bitter, oh, Christ will not be sweet. And so we understand here, guys, that it fractured everything. Now, as I was studying, I thought, I better go, I better go over what happened after Adam and Eve partook of the fruit from the tree, right, of knowledge of good and evil. Okay. I thought it was real, real important, right? Why? Well, because again, when you're here studying, you're catching on to some stuff. So I need to clarify some things. God asks Adam, hey, Adam, where are you? You guys remember? Adam freaks out. He hides from God. God calls on, calls Adam, hey, what have you done? And then what does he do? He proceeds to blame Eve, right? Genesis three twelve. Then the man said, the woman who you gave me, Right? You gave me to be with. She gave, she gave of the tree, and I ate. So, again, when God calls Adam, what does Adam do? It's the woman. It's that darn woman you gave me, Lord. What did you do? I was perfectly fine walking my dog, and now I got a woman. Now look at this. This is all, everything is collapsing, right? But who is Adam really blaming? He's really blaming God, isn't he? Because if you look at the text, it says, The woman whom you gave me. I'm blaming you, God, if you went to done this. He went to done this. And then he says, this, so God turns to the woman in verse 13. He says, What have you done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. I'm going to blame the serpent. I'm going to blame the snake. I'm going to blame the snake, right? Okay, so here's what we need to learn: God is going to curse the serpent. Okay? Genesis 3:14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed. More than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you should go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Your attention, please. Who did God just curse? He cursed the serpent. Everybody got that, right? Turn to your neighbor just to make sure. If you don't have one, that's okay. Say, God just cursed the serpent. Okay? There you go. I want you to grasp that. Because here's what I want you to see, okay? God turns to the woman, right? And she... She again. She blames the serpent. Then the woman. Then then turns to the woman. But this this is what he does. He doesn't curse the woman. You go. I thought he did. No. The curse is that she will what? She will give pain in childbirth, right? And 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 basically in in pain in childbirth and a desire to rule over her husband. But I want you to see, the woman is not cursed, but the pain in childbirth, and the rule. See, the power struggle has begun at that point. Okay, the power struggle has begun. I was asked the question, well, well, what happens, right? What happens? Well, guys, when we submit our lives to Jesus Christ, we come under his rule, and now we're governed by his spirit. So that, that inner civil war of going, I want to rule the husband, is now being submissive to Christ and coming under the authority of your husband. It's when we step out of those bounds that we have the power struggle. We have the power struggle. So we see that, plus the, chain, the, the pain in childbirth, it's painful. It's pretty painful. To Adam, what does God do? He doesn't curse Adam. What does he curse? He curses the ground, not the man, right? Here's what I want you to know. Work is not a curse, Work is not a curse, okay? Sometimes we feel like it is. Sometimes like, man, if I have to go to that job one more time. It's not a curse, okay? So I don't want you to think that. Tending the garden, guys, was easy. This is what Adam was supposed to do. Toiling and and tilling the ground was hard work, okay? But you need to understand, Scripture says God cursed the ground, and he says, and that's not going to be easy for you to work. That's not going to be easy for you to work. He says, in toil, in pain, in labor, and hardship, right? And so, I mean, this is what, I mean, when you're cutting them weeds, that's hard work, all right? And, and you get sore, and that's because the ground's going, I'm not going to yield to you, I'm going to fight you, and I'm going I'm to do everything. That's exactly what he's saying. And of course, we see, but even the final curse, he says, for you and I, but you are dust, and to dust you shall return, okay? Now, here's what I want you to know. The only living thing that is cursed right now is the serpent. Everybody with me? That's the only living thing. The problem is in chapter four, that changes. In chapter four, that changes. This is important because later on, probably next week, we're going to find that, or even later on today, we're going to find that Cain and Abel, as well as Adam, are out working. You go, what do you mean? Here's what you need to know, right? Adam was a farmer. Okay, Adam, you this is what you're going to do. Now, you can't do it in the you can't do it in the garden anymore. You're going to go out and it's going to be extra hard. Okay, you're going to have to work hard. So, Adam's a farmer. Everybody got that? You're like, "Okay." Cain followed in his father's footsteps. He was a farmer. Make sure we don't try to read anything different into that, going, well, oh, why was he tilling the ground? He just followed in his dad's footsteps. Hey, we need to eat. Get out there and, and help me, son, because we gotta, we got to get food. we got to make vegetables. We've got to, I don't remember what garden the eat look like, but, but I know that we need to plant. We need to cultivate. We need to get that ground ready, right? Well, Adam, okay, was a farmer. Cain was a farmer, but Abel came out as a shepherd. He went to work in the field as a shepherd shepherd, okay? Very notable work, all of them, all of them, okay? So listen, work was not a curse for men. It actually is a blessing from God, okay? We got to grasp that, okay? We must, we must be thankful that you and I can get up and go to work every morning by His strength, the alarm clock goes off at 4.30, we get up, thank you, Jesus. If the alarm clock goes off at 7, thank you, Jesus. But it's all, guys, it is all a blessing from God. It's all a blessing God that we can work and provide for our families. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay, so we got that, right? So now we come to chapter 4. Now, as we come to chapter 4, we see a lot of firsts, don't we? The very first, what? The very first pregnancy, right? Isn't that awesome? The very first pregnancy pregnancy and I'm thinking Eve is going to give birth to a baby boy right so I mean I think it's I think it's pretty cool the very first pregnancy I wonder if Adam said hey sweetie you're gaining weight I wonder if I wonder if she was saying you know what I want have some weird cravings right she wouldn't be upset with gaining weight because there was nobody else to compare herself to Okay, she wasn't on Pinterest going, Do I look like this? Am I this fat? Are you serious? I mean, right? She didn't have that. It was just Eve. She's like, hey, Amen. I guess this is what's supposed to happen. Go get me some pickles and ice cream, dude. Now, I, I don't know. We see the first pregnancy. Okay, you go, What else? We see the first birth. We see the first birth. I'm pretty sure Eve was going, Yup, that's what he meant. <laughs> that's what he, oh man, ouch 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 we see the first family first family now here's what i want to here's what i want to tell you i want to tell the young folks i want to tell the young married folks here although okay here's here's what we need to say if you are married just you and your wife you need to understand that you're a family you're a family i'm looking at josh and angel right now you are a family when you have children it doesn't make you a family it's just an addition to that family Okay, a lot of people go, Well, we're not a family until we have kids. No, once you're married, you're a family, and then kids make a beautiful addition and they grow up and they leave the house and then you're back to being a family. It's called empty nesters. Okay, you only give them one boomerang though. Okay, it means they can only come back one time. I don't know. Some that's how it is. Okay, so we see the first family, we also see the first crime. We're gonna see the first crime, right? I was thinking CSI Eden, right? There they're going to go out and find out what happened, right? Why? Because now we've got a murder on our hands. we got a murder. Where's Abel? I don't know. Where is Abel? I mean, seriously, missing persons. Abel's on the milk carton. Have you seen this guy? This we, we see that in Scripture. We also learn about the first death of a human. Now, we know that the fig leaves didn't cut it for Adam and Eve, so God had to actually sacrifice another animal so that they could have something to wear But that wasn't a human, although death had come in, this is going to be the death of the first human. Okay, once again, by the way of reminder, okay, chapter 3 is going to give us the what? The root of sin, right? Disobedience, we've talked about it. Chapter 4 is now going to give us the fruit of sin. Everybody got that? You've got the root and the fruit. But I want to give you a side note before we move on. Okay, very, very important. When it comes to not sin but salvation, right? And we can use this for future reference sake in our Bible studies. Let me just give you this, Ken. I'll give you, and I'll read the scripture. When it comes to not sin but salvation, okay, Ephesians gives us the root of salvation. Okay? Genesis chapter 3 is going to give us the root of sin, Ephesians is going to give us the root of salvation. Let me go ahead and read this to you. You guys know this. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. For by grace we have been saved through faith. How? Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the root of salvation. Okay? If that's the root of salvation, what is James? James is the fruit of salvation, the fruit of salvation, okay? So if chapter 4 is the fruit of sin, James says, let me give you the fruit of salvation. Ephesians is the root, James is the fruit, James 2.18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You got that? So that's the fruit of salvation, okay? We need to be careful at this point that people don't go, well, see, James is saying that you have to work for yourself. You just got to study. You just got to study. If chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Genesis is going to give us the root and the fruit of sin, and we know God is going to be just even more gracious with the root of salvation is by grace. Amen. And then the fruit of that is, let me, just, let me show you how, how, what I'm doing. Let me show you my works. I'll show you my faith by my works. If you realize that works... You know, really believing and showing your faith as simple as praying, like we did for Bob? You know, what do you mean? Well, if Santos and Josh and Stephen all got around Bob and they began to pray, who are they praying to? Who are they really believing? What's their faith about? Right? The moment they stepped in and began to pray, they're acknowledging and saying, there is a God in heaven that I pray to, that I believe in. That is the fruit of my salvation. it's just amazing because once you step in that realm, you're going, I believe, right? Or else you're going to be praying and you're just going to be praying for the hearers of the church, not God Almighty. Well, wait a minute, Ben, wait a minute, Well, You see, there are times in our lives, I think that we pray for the hearers around us instead of the God who is always listening. And I think prayer, I think we need to take a step back as the American church and know when we pray, we, we pray by faith, but we're praying to a God who's holy and just and wonderful and loving. And we're believing that God for the miracle. We're believing that God. Okay, let's go back to Genesis, okay? Let's get our mind back in Genesis chapter 4. We really have a lot to talk about. You guys ready? Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived, and she bore Cain, and said, quote, I have acquired a man from the Lord. I bet she was excited. I bet she was happy. But we got to unpack this verse just a little bit, okay? Now, like I said, as I started digging, I thought, well, I got to talk about this. Well, I got to talk about this. Well, I got to talk about this. Okay. Here's what we know, okay? First and foremost, let's talk about sex. Why are you whispering? You're right. We shouldn't whisper in the word of God, right? He's going to talk about sex. You go, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, look at verse 1. It says, in Adam knew Eve. He didn't just like, hey, I know you. Okay, that's not what he means, okay? Here's what we know. He, here's what we know. Adam and Eve, right, are obeying God's command to be fruitful and multiply. He says that's what he's. says. Adam, th- this is basically they are to what? He knew he, this is sexual relations. Okay, so they're going, okay, God said be fruitful and multiply. We know that. We also know that Adam and Eve are married by God. We saw the marriage covenant found in chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. So they're in the covenant of marriage, marriage. And the third thing we know is that Adam and Eve had sexual relations, had sexual relations. Guys, we have to talk about this. This is so important. Why? Because if I was the enemy, this is the one thing I would target to try to get Christians confused sexual relations. What we need to jot down in our notes, and it would look weird if somebody saw your notes, is sex is good. God created sex. It's wonderful. In the bounds of marriage. Don't forget that part. Because if you, if you write it down and it says sex is good, people go, what is that about? In the bounds of what? Marriage. marriage. It's beautiful. Okay. And Paul tells us that too. Paul says, listen, I want to talk to you Christians, okay? So we're talking about sex. Paul talks to us about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let me let me just let you in on what Paul is telling you. He says, now concerning the things which you wrote to me, Paul says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now here's what we need to understand. Paul is speaking of sexual intimacy. It's a euphemism that's used, okay? He says it's not good for you to... It, To be in sexual intimacy, sexual immorality, it's running rampant. So he tells us in verse 2, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, let each woman have her own husband, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise, also the wife to her husband. Paul says, listen, that's okay, this is a good thing, this is a good thing. Okay, this is when two people who really love each other on the bounds of, 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 of marriage come together in intimacy. Guys, it's needed. It's needed, right? This is he says, he says, because of sexual immorality, and, and I mean we don't have time to unpack this because we'd be here for months talking about, about in our society, in our culture, how it's rampant. How it's rampant. I mean, I mean seriously, I mean, listen, growing up in the 80s, I didn't have opportunities like the kids have today. If you found a magazine, you kind of hit it, and you were like, oh, and you felt so guilty, and you'd hide it under your mattress and maybe look at it, and then you got rid of it. That's about the extent of what I went to. But today, guys, it's readily available on the iPhone, on an iPad, just like that, and you can download it, and we have to be so careful with our kids. We have to raise them a little bit different. We have to talk to them. My, we have to talk to them more about it. It has to be open in the house. Hey, what's going on? What are you? Let me see your phones. What are you looking at? Why are you looking at this? Because of sexual immorality. But Paul tells us, okay, that's going on. Let each right. Let each man have his own wife. Principle number one: It's not good to have sex outside of marriage. It's not good to have sex outside of marriage. It's not good. Principle number two: We should have one wife or one husband, her own husband, not someone else's husband or wife. We got we we got to grasp that, guys. We got to grasp that. You, know, what does that mean? Well, here's the one thing that it speaks to me: If you're here and you're married. Please don't put your marriage on cruise control. Continue to work hard on your marriage. Continue to work hard in communication. Continue to work hard on all of this, guys. I mean, because again, there's, you've got an enemy that wants to destroy you. Principle number three, we must render each other the affection due him or her. We must never use sex as a tool or a motivator to get what we want. Okay? Paul is telling us this. We have to talk about sex. We must never use sex as a tool or a motivator. Okay? That's not what God created it for. Well, baby, if you do the dishes, then maybe you'll get some of this. No, 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 no. If you do this and I'll do this, that's, that's, that's that, no, mm-mm. We, we need to what? We need to render to each other the affection due. We need to render. If we don't, the devil will come in and he'll create. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And when that happens, guys, we tend to get blindsided. We tend to get blindsided. How did that happen? Huh? Huh? Nathalie used to pray for me years ago we first got married. She used to pray pray for me, because she just said, Don't let him be naive. Don't let him be naive out there. You know, and I was going into the business world. I was hopping on planes and flying all this place, and she was praying. She was literally praying that I wouldn't be blindsided by something and act and act stupid on it. There has to be this, there has to be this coming together. That's how God created us. Okay? I think it means for us married folks that it, it, we must we need to make a commitment guys to render affection to each other we need to we need to make that commitment it's biblical so paul paul talks about this so so going back what happens adam and eve they came together just like the bible says okay guess what happened it's a boy right she conceived and she bore cain and she said i have co- i have acquired a man from the lord now, if you're taking notes, Cain, his name means to acquire, to get or acquire, okay? Eve actually uses a plan words here, but I want you to note her perspective. She says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Now, why would she say that? And why would it be documented for us to read? Because I'm thinking Eve is thinking about Genesis 3.15, okay? Genesis 3.15, she might be thinking, Cain is the Messiah. Cain is the one that's going to put everything back. He's the man. I mean seriously, look at look at look at it again, guys. Look at Genesis 3:15. He says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel." He's going, "This is it." And I wonder if she's going, all "Right, cuz she doesn't have anything to compare it to. She just gets pregnant, she has this baby, this boy, and she's like, I've got a man." I've got a man. He's the Messiah. He's going to want... Listen, I know I messed up. I messed up by giving the fruit to, to me and Adam, but maybe Cain, maybe Cain is going to be the one. Ah, God has given me a man. Right? We know he wasn't. Right? We know it wasn't Cain, but who? Help me, church. It was Jesus who would fulfill... Genesis 3.15. How do you know? Look at 3.15 real quick, okay? It says, between your seed and her seed. Now, if you have a new King James Version, you see the S is capitalized because it's a reference to the the Messiah, but we also know that women don't have seeds, they have eggs. So what's he talking about? We're talking about the virgin consummation, the virgin birth. So you're going, so right here, he's already talking about Jesus? Yeah, Yeah, we had two good chapters, man. We did great for two chapters, and then it all went down. But but I love this because it's a story of redemption, right? It's a story of redemption. Let me just say this. Eve might have been expecting the Messiah, but what did she get instead? A murderer. A murderer. We're going to see that next week. Verse 2, then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now you're going, "What is going on here?" Not much. It's just really simple. You have a farmer and a shepherd. This is how they lived. Both boys were worker. You have a farmer and a shepherd. And that's all they tell us. She she I mean I don't know what she was thinking about Cain but she had definitely sexual relations again. She has another boy. It's it's Abel. Abel grows up, and he is tending the sheep. Now look at verse three. It says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock of and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Okay, church, we've got to do some work. We've got to do some work, okay? Because if we first read that, we're going, we, we lift up our hands in emoji style, and we go, why? What happened? What? What? Really? What? Seriously? Okay. First and foremost, what jumps out, guys, here in the original Hebrew, it says, in the process of time. Okay, I want you to circle that phrase. If you have room in your Bible or you're taking notes, jot this down. It means at the end of days, at the end of days, literally, implying that this is something that they regularly did. Okay, this was something that was somehow prescribed, or they just knew, or at God had spoken to Adam. Maybe the whole covering with the fig leaves off and the and the sacrifice, they knew they had to do something. This is how they worshiped God. It was at the end of days or an end of season. That's what it means. Okay? That's what it means. It means that that somehow, some way, God revealed that this is how he should be worshipped. Somehow. Now, now, I gotta take a step to the side of the pulpit because. Because in 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 most people that were, were dealing with this, some people said that in the process of time, God had somehow prescribed to them this is how they should be worshipped. Others said, no, 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 he didn't tell us how he did. They just Adam and Eve assumed this was how they were to worship, bringing an offering, okay? I'm going to give you both schools of thoughts, but I want to tell you it's just kind of one of those things, okay? But what I do know is I can apply this because if God says... This is how I want to be worshiped. He tells the same thing to us. You go, what do you mean? Well, again, think about this. God prescribed how He wants us to worship Him. You know, there are times in our lives we go, God, how do you want us to worship? How do you want us to come in? Okay? Now here's the problem. We're coming in and we've got all kinds of things bombarding our brain all day long. We've got work and we've got this and we've got kids and we've got all kinds of stuff. We come in here and, and and we turn down the lights and we're trying to get you into a place where we need to focus on God. Your mind's still moving. It's still going. And it's like, okay, so how are we supposed to worship the Lord? Well, let me see if okay, first song, okay, first song, maybe I'll just I'm just kind of, and, and we think that worship is just about what? About coming and singing in the first 20 minutes of a church service. But God says, no, 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 here's the thing, guys, here's the thing. He says, he says in John 4, 24, he gives us how, how we're supposed to worship, right? God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him how? In spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. That's so important. That's so important. Let me challenge you. Let me challenge you. The next time that we meet together, come into the, come, as you drive up, start to now, begin to just let the world fade away. God, I'm just, I want to come, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to worship you. I'm just going to worship you. That's all about you, God. God, I'm just, you are the most important thing in my life right now. I'm just going to worship you. And you come in, listen, and, and worship Worship is, is, is giving a hug to a sister. Worship is praying with some, a brother. That's how worship starts. Worship, okay, okay, I just, that's awesome. And as we sit here in the music, guys, listen, we'll, we, we like to put the words up there, but, but think about it. We like to put the words up there, but how much better to close your eyes and just, and just listen and just, and just sing. Just know the song. And God, you're, you're the only one here, God, in worship and in truth, in spirit and in truth. God, I love you. I love you. And then when the teaching times comes, you're still worshiping, right? This is still a worship service. Okay? You're still here. You're still engaged. God is speaking to you. Part of the Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart. And this side of the room might get something totally different than this side. God is still, that's still worship. That's still worship. Okay? So, so he says, this is how you guys need to worship. Come with hearts that are prepared. This is why the enemy wants to rip you off on your way to church. This is why the enemy tries to get you distracted. You might get a speeding ticket on your way to church. I don't know. Or you might be doing, well, I just don't know. But he tries to distract you that way, doesn't he? Or you get in a fight with your spouse over nothing. The enemy wants to distract you because you're coming to worship who? The most important person, the most important in your whole life. You're coming. This is what you're here for. That's What you're here for. Come on. So he tells us this. Now, back in Genesis, okay? Now, here's where it gets muddy. Here's where it gets muddy. It was time to go to church, and it was time to worship the Lord. Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Everybody see that, right? Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Now, in and of themselves, guys, we need to grasp this. In and of themselves, it doesn't tell us that the offerings were wrong. Why? Because... Cain was a farmer. This is what he was going to bring. He was going to bring the first fruit of whatever came out of the ground. So in and of themselves, I think, gosh, there's nothing wrong. The major problem was, I think it was the prescribed way they were to worship, in the heart of the worshiper. Again, remember, God doesn't see worship apart from us. He doesn't see worship. You guys are grasping that, right? Because we can come in here, and we can sit here, and we can sing. Josh, what was one of the songs you sang tonight? Mm -hmm. This is amazing grace, right? We have our hands up. We could be singing that, and where can our heart be? Let's be honest. Where can our heart be? Somewhere else. Where can our thoughts be? We're singing amazing grace, and we're not even, even thinking about it. This is amazing grace. And if I'm really honest, I'm thinking about work tomorrow and how early I have to get up. Did my wife make me bread? Whatever it might be. So again, we need to understand that when it comes to worship, guys, when it comes to worship, and again, God doesn't see worship apart from really our own hearts. And what did God do? He says, man, Abel, wow, that's what I'm talking about. Your heart was pure. Why? Because he brought what? He brought the first, first, right? The firstborn. Took the very best. And he says, "In Cain, I don't respect that. You go, what does it mean? Well, if you circle the word for respect, it means to regard, to gaze at, to gaze to, to regard, to look away. So basically, God's going, mm Offering the offering, so again, I just want to give you so I want to give you two schools of thought on this verse. I want to give you two schools of thought. Number one, God didn't respect Cain's offering because God, somewhere, somehow, had given them a prescribed way of worshiping in the process of time. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say, so I'm not going to say, but I'm going to give you the school. I'm going to tell you what people out there are thinking, that God somehow in the process of time said, this is how you should worship. Cain came in and he didn't worship with a living sacrifice. He came with fruit. You guys see what I'm talking about, right? Okay, God told him, this is how you should worship. This is, you need to give a living sacrifice. Now, it makes sense to a lot of people. Why? Because in verse four, we see that the firstborn. Of the flock is a type of Christ, the Lamb of God. This is the firstborn, okay? It makes sense. Who would one day die for our sins? When you think about this as the Lamb, it it fits the symbol of Christ who was an unresisting innocence. So the same Lamb, you'd pick him up, he'd go, and you'd take him and you would sacrifice him. He had that unresisting innocence. He didn't know what was going on. Christ, in the same way, His life wasn't taken, but he gave it up for us, okay? So first school of thought, God, he had told Adam, he had told Eve, he had told Cain, he had told Abel, this is how I want to be worshiped in the process of time, this is how, that's first school of thought, everybody got that. You go, Ben, the Bible doesn't say, exactly, the Bible doesn't say, so I can't say. All I can do is give you that school. Second school of thought, well, okay, let me go back, I'm not there yet, second school of thought. The reason the first school of thought is because we jump over to Hebrews nine twenty two and it says, "And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission." So you go, "Oh, okay." So Hebrews. Now, second school of thought. Second school of thought. God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's offering due to the fact, here it is, guys, that Cain was simply going through the motions. It was worship out of duty, not a desire for God. In other words, the quality of the offering and the condition of his heart. You see, I think about this school of thought and I think maybe Cain knew what he was supposed to do, right? And he showed up to the worship service wanting to do his own thing, right? He's just going through the motions, right? He came in and, and... his hope was that God was happy with the fruit. After all, Lord, aren't all offerings the same? Second school of thought. It was the quality of the heart. God looked at the heart and said, man, Cain, you're not even, in, you're not even, dude, seriously? Seriously? And maybe both are right. Maybe both are right. But here's what we do know. According to verses three to five, we see that Abel brought a sacrifice, How? By faith. You need to write that down in your Bible somewhere. He came by faith with a pure heart, with a pure heart. So he came with this blood sacrifice, and this is where he came. How do we know this? Well, note with me, the writer of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So by faith, he came in. He said, okay, I got that. Though which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it being dead still speaks, what did Cain bring? Well, we know this, that Cain brought a bloodless offering, and it was his heart and it was his unbelief that displeased God. When I first opened the Bible and I began to read this, one of the things the Lord spoke to me, I want to just insert it right here. One of the things that the Lord spoke to me when I read this verse is, did you notice that we also have, in a, in a very subtle way, we also have works in faith? Works in faith. You see what I'm saying? It's still worship service, but I also think it's works in Jesus. And I think Cain may have came, came, would have came with works of salvation where Abel came with a firstborn faith of salvation. And again, I think there was just a, wow, did you see that? It was just works. It was just works. That was a little bit of works. And Cain came and he showed us the faith of salvation because of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. And I think, guys, I think really it's the same today. Wouldn't you agree? You know what I mean? I think there are a lot of wonderful, amazing people, but they're trying to work their way to heaven. They're trying to get in God's good graces. And if I can just do this, God will be pleased with me and I'll get to go to heaven. And they believe that good works are a great perk to find entrance to heaven. Well, God, didn't I do this? And God, didn't I do that? And didn't I show up to church this? And didn't I give this? And then I give a lot of money? And I was very good at charities. And, and I'm doing all this in the name of Jesus. And yet, and yet they're not resting because it was the faith of salvation. Can I just say this? Your greatest work you could ever do for Jesus is simply to believe in him. Remember the disciples, Lord, what can, what, what, what can we do? What, what, help us do the works of God. Do you want to do the works of God? He says, believe in me. Believe in me. Believe in me. Put your faith and trust. Believe that tonight when you go to bed, the God of the universe knows you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows, he knows every tear that you've cried. He knows every thought that you've thought. He knows you. He loves you. And he's got a plan for your life. You need to know that. You need to know. You know when tomorrow looks bleak and it looks, and it looks black and you don't know what it's going to hold? Know. Know that Jesus is right there and he's going to be with you. That's, that's what you need to know. You need to believe. That's where your faith and trust comes in. That's where your faith and trust comes in. So why was Cain so corrupt, guys? Why was Cain? Number one, jot this down. He lacked faith. He lacked faith. He really didn't believe, did he? He lacked faith. If Abel came and he brought by faith, then, then Cain, he lacked faith. Now, here's what blew my mind, okay? And I'm running out of time. Here's what blew my mind. Cain talked to God. God. He talked to God, but he lacked faith. Hey, God's gonna say, dude, why are you so angry? Hey, and I'm. You guys, did you catch this guy? Did you? I mean, seriously, Cain believed in God and he walked with God and he talked with God, but Cain, Cain lacked faith. And his lack of faith kept him from a deep personal relationship with God. I like the way James puts it. He puts it for us. You guys, you know what James says? James chapter 2, verse 19 says, He says, You believe there is one God, you do well. He's like, Amen. He says, but even the demons believe and tremble. So if you just believe, you're right there with, with what James says. The demons still believe as well, but they're not saved. He says, it's my faith. Cain, Kane, you like to find You go, know, what else? Number two, uh, he was corrupt because he was going through the motions. He was going through the motions. He was so indifferent, wasn't he? Ah, here you go, God. Which blows my mind, which blows my mind because he's talking to God. Well, wait a minute, Ben. We talk to God all the time, and God talks back to us. Make sure, guys, that we just don't go through the motions, right? It was was Matthew's gospel, chapter 15, verse 8, that says this. These people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their heart is far from me. This is amazing. What if our heart's not here? What if our heart's not here? Here's my encouragement to you guys. When it comes to worship, when it comes to worship, we come in with a heart ready to receive, ready to have what God has for us, to walk out of here to be different, to be changed, okay? Because I don't want to just sing songs. I don't want to just preach, well, amen, praise God, I wrote a note, he, that was pretty good, He's pretty funny. I want, I want, go, wait a minute, listen, I'd rather just sit here quiet and have my heart close to God. Third thing, the Bible says that that he was corrupt because why? He had a wicked heart. He had a wicked heart. 1 John 3, 11 and 12 says this, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murder his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil, and his brothers were righteous, right? So, so Cain just this just didn't have a right heart. He had an evil and wicked heart. Just just think about it this way, guys. Cain was a murderer in his heart long before he ever murdered with his hands. It's no wonder Jesus tells us Hey, no wonder Jesus looks and says, Hey, listen, if you if you look at your brother and you're angry with your brother, it's the same as being a murderer. Because, guys, in our hearts, the same way, we can be a murderer way in our hearts even before we're ever a murderer with our hands. So so we go, that's why I need Jesus. I need Jesus. So what happens? What happens? Cain gets angry with God. Cain gets angry with God. Why? He comes, he offers, God's like, nope, not accepting that. And things didn't go his way, and God calls him on it, and guess what he does? Cain gets mad, and he sulks around. He starts, his his, his continence drops, right? You go, what does angry mean? Well, if you look it up in the Hebrew, it means to be hot, furious, burn, to become angry. That's what happened. Now, let me ask you, can I ask you guys a real serious question? Have you ever been angry with God? You're like, I'm not gonna raise my hand, Pastor. We all have, I think. We've all been, thank you. Guys, we've all been angry at one time or another. Just like I, I think it, it I think as humans, it seems to get really easy to get angry with God. I mean, our all our lives we've been taught to believe in God, to trust in God, that God is love, and then something happens to us, something horrible, maybe unspeakable, or something doesn't go your way, you didn't get that job, you didn't get that promotion. And we all become angry with God. And we all make a choice at that time. A lot of people that I've talked to become angry with God and say, and they walk away from God. They become atheists at that point. Oh, I don't believe in God. If this is if this is a God of love, why did this happen? If this is a God who loves me, why did it and they and they, they're angry at God, same as Cain. You have that choice. We must understand that our our anger against God, it only keeps us from knowing who he really is. It, that's all it does. Cain became angry at God. In essence, Cain was really saying, "Man, I wish there wasn't a God. You see, if there wasn't a God, then I wouldn't have to bring this offering, and I wouldn't have to just go through the motions, and, and it's like, no, 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 Cain, you're missing it, man, you're missing it. I'm going to close with this, guys, because I know we're running out of time, and I want to spend a few minutes, few moments in, in worship. Cain was angry at God. What can we learn from Cain? What can we learn from Cain in one minute? I think the Bible gives us a wonderful example, right? Wonderful examples when life isn't going your way, how you can still maintain your integrity and your faith in Jesus. First person that comes to mind, I think of Joseph. Joseph could have been extremely angry at God. Are you kidding me? You're the one who gave me this dreams. You guys know the story. He ended up in prison. I mean, that's 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 one person that could have been like, mm-mm. But but he didn't, right? He said, Listen, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God had it all all all. all. You go, who else? Well, who else do we think? We think of Job. Job could have been extremely angry at God. Lord, I've just served you all my life. I did everything right. I offered sacrifices for my kids. Are you kidding me? Now I'm sitting here and there's boils all over me. And his friends come and say, what did you do? And he's like, I didn't do any. And he maintained his integrity. And he said, listen, even his wife was like, dude, seriously? I know you better than anybody. Curse God and die. And he's like, woman, get thee behind me. He could have been mad at God, but he wasn't. He maintained his integrity. You go, who else? Who else? David. David could have been mad. But you know who you know who you know who really could have been really angry at God? John the Baptist. It didn't end well for him. John the Baptist was a leader, a missionary, a pastor. And he was a man after God's heart. He was, he was that, the Messiah was my cuz. We should have some cred here. He's my cousin. But what happened? You guys remember? He finds himself in prison for calling out Herodias. And he's sitting there and he tells his guys, go get Jesus. Tell him, if, is he the one? And where does he end up? He ends up being beheaded. And I think if anyone could have been angry at God, he could have been like, that could have been him. He could have been like, mm-mm, mm-mm. But he maintained his integrity and he maintained his belief in Jesus. And last but not least, this isn't even biblical, but this is one that hits close to home. I look at the life of my father. When my dad had a little boy, he had two older boys, he had a daughter, and then he had me. Eighteen months after he had me, his wife develops breast cancer and dies. They didn't have the, they didn't have the stuff they had back then. He had a single dad. They have now, they have, you have a single dad raising four kids. And well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, this little boy grows up to be 13 years old, his sister gets lung cancer, she's 19, and she dies. So not only did the, this man lose his wife, he lost his daughter. Now we have three. Everything in life, then you have... And then as he's growing up, his one of his granddaughters gets lupus, and at the age of 21, she passes away. And I wasn't going to share this story, but I feel like, guys, listen... All the time, I looked for my dad to be angry with God, and he was never angry with God. He never said, why me? What's going on? What is?" He maintained his integrity, and he said, I will always admire him for that because he loved God. Cain, he's angry with God, and we'll find out next week. Let me leave you with this, guys. Let me leave you with this. Life is going to be hard, and there's going to be some bumps, and there's going to be some yucky stuff, and there's going to be some hard things. Maintain your integrity. Keep your faith in God. He loves you. He's got a plan for your life. And even if that plan is death, it's far better than what Cain is going to end up, because Cain is going to end up away from the presence of God. And that's nothing that we want on, to wish on anybody. Do you agree? Father, thank you for your word. And we're just going to pray real quick because I want Josh to lead us in worship. So we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227.